You are listening to the Food Means Business Podcast, which features the personal stories and secret ingredients behind what it's like to abandon your day job to start a CPG food and beverage business. I'm Janaba Johnson-Jones, former marketing executive turned entrepreneur and founder of food business incubator Hudson Kitchen. Join our community of fellow food business owners and subject matter experts to learn and laugh with us as we explore a startup world that's a little more culinary and a lot less corporate these days. Jen, welcome to the Food Means Business Podcast. I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So before we talk about your business, we'd love to hear about you and your story from going from the cubicle to food business owner. Yeah. So actually, before Mila, I was at a health tech company, which is very different from the food industry. So essentially, after college, I really wanted to be in the healthcare life sciences space. And I was at the previous company I was at for about six years, so pretty long stint there as well. And I started on the business development team, and then I was running the direct-to-consumer team before I had gone and done Mila and actually had started the restaurant while I was at this health tech company. Oh, wow. So it was uh, a little bit on the side in the beginning because when we started it, it really was intended to be a restaurant uh, where we could go eat our favorite foods. So it really was born out of a selfish desire for us to go eat our favorite foods and we could go hang out there. And that was kind of it. And there's obviously a lot of work that still goes into that, but we hadn't necessarily planned for it to scale and become a full-time thing. You're in business with your husband, is that correct? Yep, exactly. So what's that like working together? It's actually pretty good. We get this question a lot from friends and acquaintances, (laughs) uh, I think because it is, I think it's more common now, but still very unusual to do so. And um, I think for us, what works is that we have very split responsibilities. So I take care of the product and the marketing side of things. And then uh, Caleb looks at the sales operations finance part of the company. And then we work together on strategy and business development. So because we have more defined roles, kind of even from the very beginning, that really helped us to work together. And we're very complementary, I think, in what we're interested in. So it might go something like, oh, I have a random idea. And I'll say, oh, here's an idea. And then Caleb is great at picking that up and saying, okay, here's some foundational work to see if this idea is viable. And let's look at the financial impact. Let's see you know, what it would take to get this off the ground. And he'll do that work. And then uh, once he kind of figures out that little kernel of whether this is possible, then I kind of like to take that and run with it and start to lay out an actual plan for getting it off the ground and really uh, being pretty persistent in pushing it through. And then once it has gotten off the ground, I think he really gets excited about like how big it could be. And so then he takes that over. And then I like to close the loop on those pieces. So it's a lot of this type of behavior. So it works really well that way. That's actually kind of crazy and really cool so that you're so collaborative together and that you both can kind of like fill in each other's strengths and weaknesses. That, that's amazing. Yeah. So talk about the business. Can you start it out as a restaurant? Give us a little bit of background about the restaurant and then kind of how you're able to transition into creating a restaurant quality product that is frozen. Yeah. So we started the restaurant October 2018 is when we opened 
And then after a year and a half, COVID had hit. So we had to close the restaurant for a few weeks. It was actually a fairly short period of time, but our chef had gotten COVID right at the start of it. So um, we had to shut down, obviously, all of the mandates we had to shut down as well. Mm -hmm. And then after he had recovered, he started to experiment a little bit with soup dumplings. So in the restaurant, our hero product was something called senjian bao, which is a pan-fried soup bao. And it's like a cousin of the soup dumpling. Mm -hmm. And then when he started experimenting with the soup dumpling, because the filling and the flavor is quite similar, that was an easy kind of tangent into what type of product we could explore. And a lot of dumplings are frozen. We've, we had seen soup dumplings frozen before as well in Asian grocery stores. So we started experimenting to see if our version of it could withstand freezing and delivery mm -hmm. and shipping to people's doors. So then we just started with one or two bags. That was it. And we sent out a Google form with a Venmo link on Facebook group and on WeChat groups. And we just kind of put it out there to see if there was any interest. And we obviously, since we only made two bags, we had a wait list right away. Right. So, <laughs> so then we were able to have our chef come back in and have anyone who wanted to keep working and, you know, not be furloughed, for example, right. they could come back in and start producing some of the bags. And so we did that and we kept kind of putting the Google form out there because it seemed like there was still more demand and we kept getting more orders. So then we slowly started to expand and then we started to see referrals come in as well because people would tell their friends and then we would get asked if we could deliver outside of the radius we were in, which was in the beginning, like 10 miles from the restaurant. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it was all of greater Seattle. Then it was all of Washington. Then it was Pacific Northwest. And then by the end of the year, 2020, we were technically nationwide. So from a mix of ground shipping and air shipping, we did cover all of the U.S. What a way to pivot. That's amazing. Wow. It was a, it was a fun period of time. <laughs> so how did you I guess you you were delivering and so were you strictly direct to consumer and when did you get into grocery stores and things like that yeah so we did pivot for a few weeks but technically our restaurant's still open so it opened back up after a few weeks and mm -hmm. you know it was a slow trickle of business but then by the end of the year things had picked back up again and we we're always like a fast casual counter service takeout type of spot. So it wasn't impacted as much as, you know, fine oh. dining, sit down restaurants. But then on the DDC e-commerce side of things, that had really started to scale quite a bit. I would say 2021 until now, that was where things really expanded a lot for us. And it was almost all DDC until the beginning of this year. So a few months ago, we started to experiment rolling out in retail, um, mm -hmm. which is just a different channel, different audience and different, you know, product format and packaging. So we did start to roll out in retail and launched in Costco a couple of months ago. And wow. then we're now in a few different chains. So excited to see how that will pan out for us. That's amazing. So what kind of challenges did you face when you were kind of you know, deciding to move forward and make this frozen product um, for D2C and grocery? Yeah. So when we started experimenting with the product itself, 
I think because we had started as a restaurant, we really wanted to maintain this restaurant quality piece of it because the restaurant has started off as we want to make the best Sinjin Bao in the U.S. And it didn't really exist in the format that we knew it could in Mm -hmm. China where we had tasted it. That was kind of a North Star for us. And so when we made the soup dumpling, the same thing happened where we went to go look at co-packers, co-manufacturers to scale. And they wouldn't, I mean, we were obviously very small at that point. So they wouldn't have changed their operations for us or the way that they did any of it. So then we did have to manufacture our own product from the very beginning and figure out how to scale that without, you know, a manufacturing background in doing any of it. But because that was such an important core thing um, for the company is maintaining that like chef crafted restaurant quality nature of the product, we kind of kept pushing forward to make sure that we could adhere to this product threshold quality that we had established. When you were manufacturing yourself, were you manufacturing in the restaurant or did you find a place, like a kitchen outside of the restaurant to to do the manufacturing? So we actually started manufacturing on the side of the restaurant. There was Mm -hmm. empty space and the landlord was very, I think, kind to us in allowing us to kind of take over empty space because Um, Obviously, everyone was just trying to survive at that point. And then we moved into an empty food hall that had extra kitchen space for a little while. So we're producing out of the food hall, that commercial kitchen that wasn't being used. And then we found a warehouse manufacturing facility that because of COVID, folks had shut down their operations. And so we were able to take over the new space actually pretty quickly. And so we moved into that in the middle of 2021 to start expanding. Well, and you recently went through a kind of a rebranding. Can you talk a little bit about that decision to rebrand and kind of how you happened upon the name Mila? Yeah. So we started with the name Shaltsuja, and that means street food avenue. And that was very appropriate for the brick and mortar kind of fast casual restaurant that we had since it was really meant to be a like street food oriented place, kind of night market type of feel. And those were the types of food that we had started with. And then as we went to the DDC side of things, I think we wanted to test pretty broad Chinese food category, not just street food. And I think for Shaotsuji, that is very appropriate for a restaurant that you go to and you can learn this in person. But I think for an online type of presence, I think that's very difficult to educate on Shaotsuji and, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you find us? What does that mean? And so we actually very early on were looking at a different name, which we came up with Mila. It just took, you know, almost it it took over a year to actually roll that out. And so for Mila, this means honey and spice. And I think we really liked it because it embraced this duality of being Chinese and American and their words in Chinese. And it's obviously an English speaking pronounced word as well. And I think that is us. And so it felt like a very appropriate fit. Mm-hmm. Talk to a little bit about marketing. So you have like a very famous <laughs> um, spokesperson that you're working with. So can you please talk a little bit about how that kind of opportunity came to be and like how you're capitalizing on it? Yeah. So when we had raised our first round, our investors at the time 
they had found somebody who found somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. And then we're able <laughs> That's to. That's always how it goes. <laughs> exactly. So we were able to ship him a package just to, you know, shoot our shot. And actually, when we got the package there, his parents had cooked the soup dumplings and ate all of them. Oh, wow. So he didn't actually get to try the soup dumplings, <laughs> but his parents said that they were really good, obviously, because they finished them. And that right. was enough of a, I think, stamp of approval for Simu. So he decided to put in a small angel investor check in our first round. Nice. And we hadn't met or talked to him at that time, but we kept in touch with his team throughout the year. And then there was an opportunity to sit down together to just talk about, you know, what we potentially wanted to do and what he wanted to do just generally as separate entities. And I mm -hmm. think immediately when we sat down, we started to talk about what a collaboration could look like and what the synergies were and what we each wanted as like a mission. And those, I think, came together really nicely. So we very quickly started to talk about a partnership and what that would look like. So how has Simu been working with your brand? Yeah, so he is quite involved in several different areas. Of course, his main area is on the content side of things. So I think for us, um, we already shot a TV commercial ad spot together and um, we did a brand campaign. And then we are talking about doing some type of content series that really will be able to highlight storytelling about the culture, the cuisine, the food, and what that means to us, um, since he has a platform to be able to put that out there in a different way than we could. Got it. So um, you guys sent me some products, so thank you very much. I really do appreciate that. But I also received a steamer. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of that steamer and making the product at home? Yeah, so um, soup dumplings are meant to be steamed. It doesn't have to be a steamer basket necessarily, but that's the traditional way of cooking in Chinese culture. So this is interesting because I hadn't really put this together until my mom had pointed it out, but she had mentioned that in China, ovens were not a thing for a very long time. And in American culture and cuisine, ovens are, you know, a pretty standard way of cooking things. Right. But steamers are actually the way that everyone in Chinese culture has steamed things and cooked things. So you, of course, have the pan and the wok and all of that, but steaming was the other format of cooking. And so steaming, I think, is a pretty central way of cooking for Chinese cuisine and, and food. And so the steamer basket itself, what is interesting is it's made of bamboo, and that allows steam to, you know, come out of it and be able to evaporate out of it in a pretty even way as well. So it does have a slightly different result than if you used a metal steamer type of setup, but any kind of steaming works. Awesome. Talk a little bit about how entrepreneurship has changed you because you mentioned you were working a corporate job until you launched the restaurant. So I'd love to hear like how you're different, how you changed for the better. Yeah, I think it's very different. So your first question was around cubicle to, I think, starting our own business. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're working at a company, and especially if it's a larger company, it's hard to be able to understand all the pieces that go together. Mm -hmm. And you are looking at, you know, what is your own path of growth? What's your own career growth? and looking at how you can optimize that, of course, with the bigger picture of the company and what's good for it in mind. But it's still somewhat centered around like 
your sphere of influence and what you can see directly and immediately and what context you have. I think as an entrepreneur, it's a little bit different because you are looking at all parts of the business and the company as a whole and the company is you and you are the company. And that is a very big shift. And I think the change for the better is that you do start to empathize with everybody and where they're coming from and why I think they're asking for the things that they're asking for or why they're reacting or behaving the way that they're behaving because you do start to see all the different pieces that come together in a very different lens. And I think that is very important to just keep building empathy and understanding where people come from. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, I can piggyback on that. Working a corporate job, like you know what the big picture is and you kind of know where things are going, but you don't really focus on it because you're just like, let me just stay in my lane. I worked in marketing, so I like do this marketing thing and go home <laughs> for the day. But like being an entrepreneur, like you definitely have to see the full uh, 360 picture of everything. So yeah, that's really cool. Can you talk about how your corporate experience has informed your your entrepreneurship journey? Yeah, so I would say obviously health tech as an industry is very different from food as an industry. So I think there's very little transfer of direct experience or expertise on subject matter. But I think what was very helpful is seeing different ways to work with people um, because that is a soft quality that I think is kind of key to building any company is the people behind it. And so at this corporation, which was also a startup, and we did get to growth stage while I was mm -hmm. there, and that was great to see that growth. But I think through that growth and time, I was able to try out different management styles. I was able to work with lots of different teams, scale different teams, and interact in different ways up, down, across to peers. And I think that really developed and honed in on who I am as a person and what's effective. And I think that carried a lot over to how things are informed at our company and how we set things up and what type of culture we want to build and what we want to incentivize or optimize around or really kind of make sure it is a core value, for example. Mm -hmm. So that was highly informed by the job before. So what do you guys do for self-care? Because like, you know, you work with your husband. Like, is there is there some point in the day where you're like, okay, it's five o'clock or it's seven o'clock and we're not going to talk about, you know, work anymore? Or And how are you guys able to kind of take a breather from working in the business and go do something fun or something to take care of yourself? Yeah. So we also have a 10-month-old. So oh, wow. pretty much work and the baby is 100% of our life. So yeah. I think it is a little bit difficult to step outside of that just from, you know, a time constraint perspective. But what we do work into our day is we do try to do five to 10 minutes of quality time. That is neither talking about the baby nor talking about work. It is right. a short period of time, but five to 10 minutes of concentrated time is, yeah. is actually very meaningful. And so we might walk to the mailbox, which is very far away from our house. Okay. <laughs> so we'll walk to the mailbox and back, which is about five to 10 minutes. And okay. that is kind of our own time that we know is set aside. And if we don't do that, then it is like before we go to bed, we'll mm -hmm. very pointedly say, hey, this is our five to 10 minutes of catch up quality time and spend time talking about something else. 
Awesome. Any any other things that you guys do? I know, you know, you mentioned working that your child was 100%, but any, I'm just curious. As I, I've talked to a couple of people today, actually, and some people are, are running or you know, doing yoga. And I'm just wondering if there's something else that you try to work into your your routine. Yeah, we're more weekend activity people. So we'll go. Um, last week, we had actually gone sunflower and blueberry picking. Nice. And so I think the weekend activities are really where we try to um, remove ourselves a little bit from the day to day. So we'll go hiking or skiing in the winter. Those are our activities. So it's definitely more like concentrated time um, sure. for longer spans rather than, I guess, daily things. So what are you thankful for? I'm pretty thankful that we had the opportunity to do this at the time that it happened. I think a big portion of success comes from luck and timing. And so I think we got very lucky on when we did it, which was, you know, during COVID, which I know was very difficult for a lot of people, but it did afford us the opportunity to test this product out. There's product market fit. And I think the environment was conducive to us being able to put something out there and test it in a, in a way that allowed us to scale. So I'm very thankful that we were set up at that exact moment to be able to do something like that. And I think I'm very thankful for the people that we have found to work together with us along the way. I think we've found like the exact right people at the exact right time to get us to that next stage. And I think everyone has always been very, I think, caring about the company, which you just really can't ask for more. Yeah, you're actually the second person I heard say that today. I was interviewing someone else that has a meal prep company. They actually work out of our kitchen and he was saying the exact same thing. So that, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. So at Hudson Kitchen, we have what we call the money bell that we ring when we're celebrating something. So I'm wondering, what are you celebrating right now? We just signed a new lease on a new facility. So oh, wow. we're very excited about that. It took a very long time to find and close the space, but it allows for us to, I think, go into our next phase of growth. So that is definitely the number one topic of conversation right now. <laughs> God, that's really exciting. Oh, I brought your sauce here. I know that this has the old branding, but I just wanted to like kind of show your product. And I thought you had the soup dumplings. You also have the sauces. Is there something else you're thinking about making right now? Yeah, so we have the soup dumpling sauces. We also have a noodle line already that's out. And then we are releasing a limited edition soup dumpling flavor the first week of November. So we're going nice. to be a little bit more consistent with our limited edition flavors that are coming out. And then we're exploring a couple other product lines to release and test out as well. Amazing. So with the limited edition flavors, how do you come up with those? And it, is the November timing specific to something that's happening? Or I'm just curious as to how you came up with that. Yeah. So for the limited edition, it really is, um, we have a pretty broad brainstorming time period where we'll say, okay, what flavors do we think could do well for a soup dumpling? Um, in this case, a soup dumpling. And then we'll try out a, a few different recipes because they might not always translate in a soup dumpling. Mm -hmm. And then we'll narrow that down to, okay, these are like the top three. Let's develop them and see how far we can get in the format and the taste. And that's kind of how it's determined. But everyone on the R&D team contributes ideas on what that could be. And then on timing, it was more 
we wanted to release it before the holiday time period and we were coming up against it and we're like, this is the drop dead deadline. We need to put this out. <laughs> so that one was not as thoughtful, but we do try to release one on Lunar New Year as well. Oh, got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So Jen, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Please let everyone know where they can find out about you and Mila. Yes. Our website is www.eatmila.com and all of our products are there and then we are starting to roll out in retailers so we'll keep everyone updated on our social media or email that sounds great congratulations on all your success thank you thanks so much for having me it was great to chat with you absolutely the food means business podcast was produced by hudson kitchen it is recorded at the studio at carney point and mixed and edited by wild home podcasting our theme song is by Damien DeSandes, and I'm your host, Janaba Johnson-Jones. Follow Hudson Kitchen on Instagram, at The Hudson Kitchen, and to get food business bites right in your inbox, sign up for our newsletter at thehudsonkitchen.com forward slash newsletter. Listen, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Until next time.